Welcome to Transcending Comics, a podcast dedicated to trans representation in comic books, manga, and webtoons, both on panel and behind the scenes. Our guest today was the first person I ever asked to guest host a podcast way back in 2020. They're one of the biggest comic book fans I know, my resident Wonder Woman and Supergirl expert, and my queer comics informant as an employee at my favorite local comic shop. I'd like to give welcome to my good friend Kyle. Welcome to the show, dude. Thanks for having me. All right, Kyle. So for our listeners, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. You kind of covered it. I'm a big nerd, really into Supergirl, Wonder Woman, mainly lady heroes, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, pronouns? Oh, my pronouns are they, them. Sorry, I'm always really bad about introducing myself. I forget everything I've ever done in my life when I have to introduce myself. All right, class, everyone go around and say their name and one favorite thing about... Oh, oh, and your pronouns and your your favorite thing about yourself. (laughs) Yep, nightmare. But yeah, back with my original podcast, I remember we'd uh, have you on both for Supergirl and Wonder Woman because you've read far more of those comics than I probably ever will. (laughs) Probably. And I even first met you at a local con. Uh, I met Kyle while they were all dressed up as Clark Kent, which pre-transition days was also my favorite Comic-Con costume. So (laughs) we kind of hit it off from there, kind of geeked out about a lot of mutual interests. And then you started working at the shop. And yeah, now you're kind of my regular comics contact. I try. I'm not claiming to be an expert in everything going on in comics, but... You are technically a comic book professional, though, so... I mean, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought you'd be perfect for today's episode because you're actually the reason I have the book in question, Galaxy, the Prettiest Star, because it's my understanding you are both the one to first recommend it as a Christmas gift from one of my good friends, and then also the reason the gift was given to me when they forgot to hand it over for like six months. So (laughs) twice now I have you to thank for bringing this book into my life. I'm not sure if I was the one that recommended it as a Christmas gift, but he did buy it when I was working. Yeah. <laughs> Remember you like how confused you were when I came in asking for a copy and you're like, yes. don't you have it? And like, I was really afraid you gave it to me as a gift and I just forgot. I'm like, shit, how do I play this cool? <laughs> no, I'm just like, oh God, what have I done? But yeah, tell me, what's your familiarity with the Galaxy, uh, starting with the book and maybe moving on to the artist and writer after that? Well, I mean, this is Galaxy's debut in comics, so mm-hmm. I didn't really know her prior because of that. But I, I read the book, I think, last year. And well, that first time I read it, I almost cried. It was really emotional. It was really good. And I, you probably aren't surprised by this because I always talk about how much I love art, but um, the art in it is <laughs> incredible. Mm-hmm. I love the style and the way they play with colors and everything. Also really like the way I, I think I'm pretty sure it's intentional to play with the lesbian pride flag colors in it. Oh, I hadn't even thought of that, but I'm yeah. sure that's exactly it. But yeah, and I, I guess more experience with the character. Uh, she's in Hawk Girl number one. Mm-hmm. Have you gotten to read that yet? I have. I just read it last week. Also by Jadzia Axelrod. Same yes. author as this. I'm excited for the rest of that series. It looks or it seems like it's going to be really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we'll be touching a little bit on her appearance in Hot Girl a little later on in the episode, because there's certainly a time jump from one book to the other oh, and yeah. some questions that raises. 
but yeah i'm totally with you on the artwork on this like i love the like i'm not the greatest at describing art as a non-artist mm. myself but like it's both like simple and complicated at the same time like it's got yeah almost like um it reminds me a bit of animation stills, but like highly stylized ones, like almost like watercolor animation stills mm-hmm. and moments. And really the the coloring done on this is also like incredible. And I, I love how they drastically change the coloring for scenes that are clearly some kind of fantasy being played out in Taylor's head as opposed to the real world scenes. And yeah, it just really makes the different moods the book pop. Yeah. I agree. I'm a big art nerd in comics, especially. And it was like, I'm so bad at actually putting into words what I like about it. But it it's, it's beautiful. Uh, now, are you terribly familiar with the author Jadzia Axelrod? I don't think so. Not really. I really only first learned about her because of this book. Mm-hmm. And I started following her on Twitter. But that's about it. <laughs> mm. As far as big two comics work, uh, I believe it's really just this hot girl and uh, I think maybe a special in DC Pride from last year. But I spent a little time on her website and her resume is like wildly impressive. I mean, as comics go, she's done a few other indie comics outside the big two, like Frankenstein's support group for misunderstood monsters, which from the name alone, I'm sold. (laughs) That does sound cute. And the Battle of Blood and Ink. She's kind of a podcasting legend. Like, she's been making podcasts since 2005. Oh, and wow. I didn't even know podcasts existed back then. Or they like, podcasts predate YouTube at that. And they just radio shows at that point still. <laughs> basically. So, yeah, she's done a number of fiction podcasts, uh, like The Voice of Free Planet X, among a couple others. And I, I did listen to the first episode in preparation for this just to get a feel. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that the audio quality holds up for like modern standards, but considering how most of us had, like, Mm -hmm. if we were lucky, maybe an Xbox mic in 2005, it's still pretty impressive for a podcast that's coming up on 20 years old. Well, that's pretty cool. And this is totally random, but because her username on Twitter is Planet X and Planet X is a part of a title. Do you remember that place called Planet X here? Yeah. Uh, That's what I always think of. That was like the laser tag and... Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think I might have had an afterprom there. <laughs> yeah. What was the local vibe about Planet X back then? Um, I think it was definitely a step above Chuck E. Cheese. Because that's where I grew up, pretty much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese going there for my birthday. But yeah, I loved the bumper cars there because you could literally just sit in it and have the controls going in different directions and just spin. Mm. <laughs> that's all I did the whole time. I don't know why this is my main memory for that, but I just remember seeing the Johnny Mnemonic pinball machine there, which was like a Keanu Reeves. It's like a 90s oh. computer movie he did. Like he's got like a computer in his head. And I'm like, what's this like Matrix ripoff <laughs> I'm looking at here? <laughs> And yeah, never that heard that weird. movie mentioned here is it's pinball machine, which is maybe my favorite way to discover a movie and is not the only time that's happened. Oh, God. <laughs> Back on Jadzia, like, I don't know if I've ever researched a writer that I've been more suspicious of being like an immortal of some kind or a superhero, because <laughs> like the, the number of talents and jobs just don't make sense for any mortal being like she's been a costume designer, a puppeteer who I believe even designed her own puppets. And also a circus performer. Like, this is like four or five different lives worth of trade professions all under one belt. Can we get her on a Nightwing book? 
Ooh, she was oh. at circus performance. Oh yes, gosh! Please let us manifest that into reality. That <laughs> Tom Taylor, who's currently writing Nightwing, is probably my favorite big two writer. So mm-hmm. almost anyone that they get to write the book after him is going to feel like a step down. And plus, it's the first time the book's been great in like ten years. But if they get Jadzia on it. Like, just to get that circus expertise and also, like, hey, there's some level of trans themes with Nightwing. Like, he's the first hero that gets a big name change and gets to transition from child to adult, whereas most are just stuck as child forever. So I I, I think there's good reason to put her on the book, and I I would absolutely put it on my pull list should they (laughs) bring her on. (laughs) That would be really good. Back to the art, though, Jess Taylor, the artist for this, I love their work on this, and I didn't recognize their name from anywhere else, and they also didn't have much big two work under their belt either, but still have worked on pretty major properties outside of superhero stuff. Like, they worked on Critical Role, D&D, Stranger Things, Adventure Time Season 11, so like... If you're into nerd fandom and not into superheroes, like they've almost definitely touched on one of your major interests. So really awesome work throughout. I mean, looking through their stuff, it had a lot more work like this, just with a bit more mm-hmm. uh, a bit more fantasy elements to it. Almost like looking at comic tarot cards, I could almost say. And I saw that they're taking commissions at the moment and doing covers. So as someone who's working on comics themselves, like I would be flabbergasted if i could pin them down for a cover like i i absolutely love this stuff i do too i am kind of in the same boat as you though of just like never really seeing their stuff before (laughs) because i will admit i tend to read more superhero stuff than indie Mm. stuff you're the reason i'm getting more into indie stuff though so i did i think one thing that they might have done also is i think a cover for a life is strange comic because i was looking at their website as well and one of them looked like max from Mm. did you ever play that game a little bit and yeah their art style would fit that really well so yeah i'd I'd believe it (laughs) but getting into the book here shall i kick us off with a quick summary as taken from the back of the book yeah taylor barsley has the perfect life Good looks, good grades, a starting position on the basketball team, a loving family, and even an adorable corgi. Every day in Taylor's life is perfect, and every day is torture. Taylor is actually the Galaxy Crowned, an alien princess from the planet Siandi, and one of the few survivors of an intergalactic war. For six long, painful years, Taylor has accepted her duty to remain in hiding as a boy on Earth. That all changes when Taylor meets Metropolis girl Catherine, call me Cat, Silverberg whose confidence is electrifying. Suddenly, Taylor no longer wants to hide, even if exposing her true identity could attract her greatest enemies. Now, if I had a nickel for every time a trans-coded fantasy character had a gem in their chest and was the reincarnation of galactic royalty (laughs) and also very inspired by David Bowie music, I'd only have two nickels, but it's weird it happened twice. <laughs> We're talking about Steven Universe, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> okay. It took me a second and I feel ashamed because I've watched that show so many times. That, that, that's something I actually want to get into a little bit uh, in a minute here. Okay. By no means am I insinuating one's like a knockoff of the other because I know something oh, that yeah. I think they're both pulling from, or at least what this one's definitely taking inspiration from. Before we get into everything else that this work reminds me of or that this i feel like is the version for me of of other media Mm -hmm. uh what were your initial reactions when reading the comic well like i mentioned earlier it made me kind of emotional the first Mm -hmm. time i was reading it i think this time around because i i did read it again today 
I was definitely more focused on the art just because it's pretty. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was just really good. And I, I feel like maybe I got some more of the imagery this time or like al- imagery illusions, the like references to things. But I don't know. It's just it's a great book. Highly recommend it to anyone ever. <laughs> yeah. As far as moments that hit hard, like before the comic itself even starts, it has the dedication of for the girl that needed this book ages ago, but couldn't find it. And here I am at work and I'm already starting to tear up before the comics even started. Like, oh, (laughs) this one's this one's going to hit, isn't it? Yes, it will. But on those illusions, though, something on my second read, I had to look into the one that I think is maybe what both this and Steven Universe are probably pulling from a bit. Mm -hmm. Did you catch or did the Oz references stick out to you at all? I'm going to be honest with it being called Ozma. I, I mean, kind of, yeah, but also reminded me of a character named Ozma in Ruby because I was like, I'd never heard of that name anywhere besides Ruby before. So, of course, that's where my brain went. So Blue Del Quanti is actually part of the reason I was able to find this because they recommended this very queer webcomic called Yellow Brick Ramble, which is a reboot of The Marvelous Land of Oz. But doing a little digging, I found out that Princess Ozma in the Wizard of Oz books was also transformed to look like a boy as an infant to be kept hidden. So literally assigned male at birth for their own safety. So like Ozma is basically like the OG galaxy and the OG Steven Universe and a number of other characters. That's interesting. Also in the public domain because those books are old enough. So if anyone needs a public domain transgender princess to use for their own works, uh, Ozma's right there. (laughs) Well, that's pretty cool. That's like deep lore, too, or like deep cuts. I had heard that the Oz books like had a pretty dedicated following in the trans community. Like my girlfriend's a pretty huge fan of them and is always like pushing those over Alice in Wonderland because they're less but still pretty problematic. (laughs) Or at least their writers are. But researching this and like that little Oz reference has piqued my interest in actually reading those Oz books someday more than I think anything else has. So those little nods pay off sometimes. <laughs> as far as the hard hitting trans moments in this book go, though, I, I'm curious, though, what moments you felt like hit you the most in here? Oh, gosh, it's going to be hard to remember specifically. I think the first time that she tells Cat or like shows Cat what she's supposed to really look like and then immediately runs away like that instant fear is pretty relatable. And then the like, would it be anger or frustration about not being able to be herself and having to be quote unquote normal so that everyone else can be normal? That fantasy outburst early on of like, can't mm-hmm. you see this is killing me? Why do none of you see? Why am I the only one who has to sacrifice who I am so that you all can be yeah. normal? That was probably the first like real gut punch for me in the book. Mm-hmm. Like, and I mean, it's really littered throughout just like the trans experience, literally from page one and seeing a traditionally beautiful person in the mirror that just doesn't feel like yourself. Yeah. That and the moment you mentioned of her revealing herself to Kat partway through, like, mm-hmm. I mean, one, I love the line of like, I'm not into guys. I'm not a guy. <laughs> <laughs> Great classic moment. And yeah, the whole freak out scene. I also have like, I think there's a little bit of this that a lot of trans femmes can recognize because I know I'm far from alone in this. Like I've heard a lot of others mention that they dated girls in high school that would later come out to be lesbian and then Oops. the person in question <laughs> would later come out to be a woman. So it's like, oh, you did know. Okay. 
So we just what get was like the common thread there. Yeah, we just get the fast forwarded version here, <laughs> like the instant. No, no years of college and finding oneself true. I was like, the person was correct <laughs> the first time. Oh my god! I'd say the other major moment for me was shortly after they transform. They mention how like oh, the yeah. jewel in their chest that apparently doesn't work or was somehow part of the reason her species wasn't able to fight off the the vein or the invading aliens. Like all of a sudden, she notices it doesn't hurt. And like they didn't realize how much mm-hmm. it did hurt until it stopped, which is again really common shared experience among trans people of like the way I've heard it put is like going your whole life breathing smog and never realizing it because you don't know what fresh air tastes like. Mm-hmm. I wondered if it was also maybe possibly a nod to like chronic pain. Mm. I don't know. It, that might be breaching a little bit. That's kind of what it came off to me a little bit as to I don't know. And like you don't notice how bad it hurts sometimes until. It feels a lot better. Mm -hmm. That's also a common enough experience that you're probably not wrong there, especially with like the chest pain element. Like I think both trans femme and trans mask people, that's something (laughs) we have to deal with in some capacity. (laughs) Binding sucks. Thankfully, not everything is difficult here as far as trans references go. I mean, there is still some of the other like political ones like. I really like how they do allusions to the trans experience, but like even Mm -hmm. though the character is trans technically that's not about that it is about them being Mm -hmm. an alien like them not being able to play in sports anymore right their excessive talent getting blamed on them being different they did something kind of similar with dreamer and the supergirl cw show Mm. with comparing being trans and being an alien it did feel a little bit um when uh, Supergirl at one point was like, I do understand what you're going through to the trans character because I'm an alien. And I was like, it, you don't quite understand, but you got the spirit. Mm. Yeah. Now that's another character and writer altogether with Nicole Maines yes. that like you're kind of my go to source for. Like if we ever get to cover some dreamer work, I'll probably have you on because I'm sorry, but I'm just not going to find time to watch like six seasons of Supergirl or even the seasons with her. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say she doesn't come in right away, but yeah, I don't blame you for not wanting to watch the whole show. It was a bit of a mess. A fun mess, but... A hot mess, but a mess nonetheless. (laughs) Yes. But I think my favorite of the little trans references here is there's a moment after she's transformed and gets like stuck in the galaxy form that she gets handed a glass of pickle juice that so she's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And they mention like, oh, well, you have a salt deficiency in this form, so you're going to crave like salt water and stuff. And like for anyone that's on hormone blockers or specifically spironolactone, that's something we experience. Like there's a lot of memes about really? trans folk like loving pickles because they're full of salt uh, or like full of sodium. Huh. Yeah, there's something I about know that. like... I spend my time reading comics, not reading chemistry books, so I don't get the science of it, but I know there's something about, like, salt absorption that gets messed up with spironolactone, so that's part of the reason why we, like, drink so much water and, like, have to pee so often. That's interesting. I, I never knew that. And it probably because this is a bit of the biologist coming on me. I, I think it's because maybe trans masks, and if anyone knows more, please correct me, but I don't think we have to go on any sort of blockers because... When testosterone is present, it just kind of shuts off estrogen like mm. completely. Well, not completely. Everyone has both, but. Yeah, I don't think that's universal, or at least I know the pickle craving I do meet in trans masks as well. So really? I'm not saying one implies the other, but it's not my lived I experience, so I couldn't it. tell you. 
but the general theme of the book, like I know the book has gotten praised for this in the past, like it uses shape shifting, which it seems like most trans allegory stories do, but it kind of turns things on their head by making the false self, the shape shifting form or like they're masking when they're going as Taylor to school. Mm -hmm. And it's when they stop shape shifting that their true self comes out. Like, I feel like with characters like Mystique or like maybe some level of Steven Universe, but others as well, like the allegory can work, but it can also hurt us because Mm -hmm. like then bigots can twist that and say something about like, oh, yeah, it's changing or mutilating oneself to fill this need to look a certain way when it's like, well, no, it's more the opposite of that. It's embracing what we really are. And I really love how it's subverted that shape-shifting trope into something that feels way more empowering rather than a power fantasy of like, I wish I could shape-shift so I could finally transition. That's probably why I loved Beast Boy. Um, when Teen Titans was on, no, <laughs> I never connected those dots. Maybe it's me, but I think Beast Boy gives big trans mask vibes. Maybe it's just that the two of you have similar hair. Don't don't, don't call me out like this. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I think was a big conscious decision for the book, especially for a superhero comic, is that there's no real physical conflict. Like when the climax happens, it's more of a personal, emotional victory rather than a physical one. I wanted to bring that up to you to kind of get your thoughts on that, about like how it ends with Galaxy standing up to her family, or at least her seemingly transphobic father, as well as her school that's like literally kicked her out for being an alien, uh, rather than showing the invasion of the vein. I kind of like that it ended like that, because... I feel like just throwing in a big bad and then having a big fight and stuff would maybe take away a bit from what the point of the book was. Mm-hmm. As much as I love a good slugfest, but also she was not ready to <laughs> do anything yet. Like she's still figuring out her powers. I don't think it would have ended well quite yet. Yeah, the pacing of the book seems really deliberate and we don't really get that training sequence with her powers. So. Mm-hmm. It would have felt weird if it jumped right to like, oh, and then she repels an alien invasion. <laughs> I also like, though, that the victory is really a matter of self-acceptance and like being willing mm-hmm. to stand up for oneself rather than like showing up and proving everyone wrong or like going to the dance anyway and playing fight song in the background. Like, <laughs> yes, no, like at the end of the book, she still hasn't really gotten her way. She's spoilers for those who are holding off on reading it, but she still doesn't get to the go to the homecoming dance that's been like huge for her. But instead, it's like like she's found acceptance, like she's having a great time with her girlfriend instead. And I honestly think that's the narrative that trans kids need more than the power fantasy victory over the people that kicked you down, because for a lot of us our stories aren't going to end with us getting to go to prom at a homophobic school or have that family turn around on a dime and be like, yeah, we'll totally accept you just as you are. So instead depicting that sense of like personal self-fulfillment in just being able to live truly as oneself and find what people that actually support and love you and leaning into that rather than trying to make everyone change and accept you and instead find the circles that already do. I think that's the way more important narrative for us to be getting right now. I agree. It was just really well written. Like I do really love the writing of this book. It has a really good use of inner monologue here and there. It also pairs really well with the various like 
Um, more leaning into the art, like it's more than just Taylor that we see kind of fantasizing about different times or being something different or their time on the home world, like getting that yeah. nice overlay of like their current monologue or the current conversation they're holding with the imagery of the home world. And like those always tend to be like the most beautiful pages in the book. Yeah, it is really cool. I kind of hope that maybe they are able to make a new NSR the thing that transformed them because mm. i'd like to see the other like her family members what they look like as their actual species it'd be interesting yeah that's like i'd say that's probably the most tragic moment of the book for me is that we get a moment where by galaxy transforming and their little avocado thing breaking which it looks a little bit like an egg and it cracks and that's when she <laughs> transitions I, I think that might be another thing they're getting at but yeah, like now her siblings are stuck in their human form. And yeah, I- I'm assuming that'll get addressed someday. It sounds like there's some level of possibility for them to grow a new one of those things. But mm-hmm. if we get a sequel, I think they've set up her brother as like the perfect antagonist. And like, that's a really difficult and touchy subject of like, you transitioned and because of that, I don't get to. And that's, <laughs> I don't think anyone's tackled that in transmedia yet and i would be really excited to see how they handle it yeah i don't mean to keep bringing it up but there's something kind of similar with dreamer supergirl the whole sibling thing (laughs) galaxy has all of like three appearances in the dc universe so far and one of them is just a poster with dreamer in this year's pride anthology so i feel like the two of them go hand in hand they both they're friends in the dc universe in the comics because in hawk girl Galaxy is calling Nia, who is Dreamer. Oh, okay. That reference totally went over my head because I'm out of the loop on DC. This is why I need you as a resource <laughs> for the podcast. They're besties. It checks out. Like, if there's two trans femme superheroes, like, you got to know each other. We, we got to, <laughs> of course, we, we find each other. We do. <laughs> on that note, with both the way the climax is handled here and her appearance in Hot Girl, when Hot Girl is getting the rundown on who this galaxy figure is that's appeared in her life. Batman's dossier mentions that this invasion with the vein seems to have already happened, but nobody remembers it. Yeah. And I don't know if that's something that Jadzia is like gonna explore in future galaxy comics or maybe in further issues of Hot Girl that's gonna get elaborated on. But yeah, that's something that really throws me off there of like i want to know what happened i want to know why no one remembers this i also like i want to know more about what makes the vein so dangerous like they've Mm -hmm. come to a planet that has superman and the justice league and deals with an alien invasion like every week some of which are alien hive minds which is like what the vein is described as and that's apparently part of the threat there's some like ant hive aliens i want to know what makes them a threat that makes them feel like DC's army of superheroes that live within a few miles of each other can't handle. And yeah, and like, where were the Green Lanterns? Aren't they supposed to be like preventing this sort of thing? Yeah, uh, they were on vacation that day or <laughs> I don't know, Union Strike. I don't know, it could be anything. <laughs> the Green Lanterns just conveniently aren't there anytime an alien invasion is useful for a character's backstory. I mean, I guess that's fair. It could be Earth's fault because we get like nine Green Lanterns to ourselves, whereas most galaxies have to share one. So like maybe it's our fault. Maybe we (laughs) commandeered someone else's Green Lantern. They were too busy dealing with all of Earth's monthly cosmic issues and they couldn't deal with this one alien invasion uh, across the galaxy. 
I mean, yeah, that's fair. It seems like it's always the people from Earth that are resetting the timeline over and over. Barry. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not team vain, but I am kind of team of any alien species that feels the need to take out the Earth. Because, like, that's got to be existentially terrifying to know that all of these events that seem to reset the entire universe and change the fabric of reality are all localized to this one planet. Like. Yes. Yeah, maybe take them out. That like, <laughs> that's dangerous. That you you can't leave these people unchecked. Seriously, like maybe we're the bad guys. No. <laughs> Let's see. I, I did at least want to touch on like other favorite characters here, namely Argus. Oh my god, I love Argus. Yeah, like weird kind of organic robot Corgi that they mentioned yes. was like grown rather than built like a robot. I love that the word that she uses to say that he was supposed to be like the size of a tiger, but he was his growth was stunted. So he's just little baby size. Just saying. So his caretaker is a weird, stunted, protective mechanical unit. I mean, one of Steven's guardians is Amethyst, who also yeah, is yeah, like, yeah. Uh, growth is stunted and way shorter than expected. But I, I would love to know, like how much, if any, Steven Universe did influence this? Because the way they actually do portray all these things is very different than how Steven Universe handles it. I think especially mm -hmm. with the more slice-of-life high school setting, like, it's a completely different vibe. And really, it was listening to David Bowie while rereading this today that I was like, wait a minute, this thing shares a lot with that show. Oh, yeah. There's an episode, I think it's in Steven Universe Future. Did you ever watch that? Yeah. His dad had like an album by someone named Carrie Moonbeam and the cover of it looks very much like it's supposed to be David Bowie. And I mean, the whole song they play around, it sounds a lot like Starman or mm -hmm. you know, Ziggy Stardust or uh, like a number of David Bowie songs. It's like pretty clear that's the vibe they're going with. And also yeah. Mr. Universe, David Bowie was like always singing about space. <laughs> I love when a comic book kind of has a soundtrack to it. And I played some of the relevant songs, like sometimes I'd put on like every one of the chapter titles is named after a David Bowie song. And oh. it's a really good way of setting the vibe or like I just happen to like get the perfect timing with my reading breaks, uh, listening to the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust today enough to get Suffragette City right in the party scene, which is that's awesome. The karaoke song she sings. I, I don't know. I really love that when people managed to slip in a way to be like okay we we don't get music in the comic medium but maybe put this on your phone while you're reading this just like the character and it normally sets the mood really well i don't know how you can actually listen to music though with words in it while you're reading <laughs> my adhd will not let me do that it mm. i'll start reading the words from the song i don't know how that works but that's what happens i feel like david bowie's lyrics specifically are a little bit harder to if not pick up the lyrics specifically like you know interpret so it's a little easier for me to just like treat it like background noise or some of them too like i'm just used to hearing these songs as background music in movies so okay. i think that also helps you gotta listen to edm like i do you know i listen to edm i'm going to festivals all the time with that that's just like yeah, that gets yeah. me too hyped. Then I like I want to dance, not sit and read. It helps me focus. Mm, that actually that's kind of the case for me too. Like most of the music that I've featured on the show so far is like uh really electronic trance music really seems to do it. It's like the right level of distraction so my brain only has uh, enough focus to do actual work. Well, it for me it it feels calming. 
I think you've probably read more of these DC young adult novels than I have. I am curious, how would you say this one compares to most of the more young adult graphic novels they've put out so far? I think it fits in pretty well with a lot of them. They seem to be a lot more LGBTQ friendly Mm -hmm. um, or like have more of those themes in them. Like one of my favorite ones that I've read is Harley Quinn Breaking Glass. Oh my God, that one is so good. Isn't that one full like drag queens? Yes, she. (laughs) So Harley is like sent from her mom to go live with her grandma, I think in Gotham. But they don't know that Harley's grandma is actually dead, I think. So she ends up living with a bunch of drag queens in the same apartment complex. And yeah, it's a good book. I highly recommend it. You're not the only person that's mentioned Harley Quinn breaking glass. So I might need to check that one out since yeah, very LGBT. Really good. Sounds awesome. I'm also really surprised with like what they're able to get away with in these yeah. young adult comics. Like, I don't take issue with it, but, like, Galaxy and Cat sleep together in this. Yeah. And, like, it's kind of the L-shaped blanket scene the next morning. Yeah, I think a lot of the YA ones, they do deal with some heavier stuff, I think, than they tend to even in the, like, mainline comics where they're allowed to. Like, I think there's a lot of activism they show in the Harley Quinn one. I feel like there was something, I can't remember exactly, in the Constantine one. Yeah, I know the Nubia one, like, really gets oh, yeah, into yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah. activism. And, yeah, like, and just for those who haven't read it, I should clarify that, like, there's by no means, like, a full sex scene or anything. It's no. mostly the, like, fade to black and then wake up, but, like... They're necky, so... Yeah, they're <laughs> deaf's necky. Uh, <laughs> and it was that moment, I'm like, wait a minute. I'm not sure, but I might have gotten my little niece this book. It was in a very oh. religious family. Like, Oops. you know, I was always the one getting her the DC superhero girl books. I'm like, all right, young adult. And she's grown out of those. So I'm sure this will be fine. And I mean, it's YA, so I probably don't have to read through it first. So if my sister or brother-in-law are listening to this, um, my Oops. apologies. If... My niece is listening to this. Well, I guess that's why I'm the cool aunt. So it's true. So with most of our major points focused on, I did want to ask just a more general question of the week, especially for you, since you you're surrounded by comics at work. And I think read a wider smattering of them than I do. Who do you say is your current favorite queer or trans character in an ongoing comic? Oh, God, that's really hard. Like, I'm probably going to go with Dreamer just because I, I love Nicole Maines. I, I love watching her TikTok. She always makes me laugh. And I love the way she wrote Dreamer in the, I think it was the 2021 Pride anthology that DC mm-hmm. did. My favorite line was she was like looking in somewhere and the line was, oh, what in gay hell? <laughs> and yeah, I'm just, I, I really like her. And I'm really looking forward to the um Dreamer. I think they're going to do like another YA sort of book with her. Uh, I think it's called Bad Dreams. I haven't had the chance to look into much Dreamer content yet. I will eventually watch the Supergirl episodes with her, and I'm going to be checking out the comics with her as well. Like, I'm slowly getting through Superman, Son of Kal-El. To... Yeah, because that's where she was introduced into the DC Comics universe. Yeah, like, Nicole Maines herself is something of a real-world superhero, so I- I'm yes. really looking forward to diving into both the character and her work more. Like, I-, I don't know if there's many other examples of people that first played a character on TV and then were, like, 
at the helm of introducing them into the DC universe. And as far as being a real world superhero, like, as a kid, she had a Supreme Court yeah. case that she helmed as far as getting to use the women's room at her school. And I'm like, wow, this person yeah, is she's awesome. probably cooler than any character she's played or written. So uh, <laughs> yeah, just another one of many people that I like. I'm glad this podcast gives me a reason to spend my limited comics time looking into these characters rather than the far too many books in my backlog and my pull list that I could otherwise be reading. All your Power Rangers books. Hey, you you leave my Power Rangers books alone. Those those I usually get to almost immediately, but you okay, know, that's, that's, that's the child in me that <laughs> and, and never outgrew the Rangers. All right. Anything else before we sign off, Kyle? Well, I gotta know who's your favorite. Oh, yeah, that's right. Even though I'm not caught up on the book, I think I'd go with Petricor from Saga. She's a trans character that shows up in volume like six or seven uh, way later mm-hmm. on. But uh, she's just an awesome character that they meet in prison that like just immediately like takes to looking after the main kid in danger oh. and has a really delightful like enemies to lovers dynamic with the robot head guy and like an immediate one too of like the argument that ends in them making out. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, they're making out with the computer screen, so I don't know totally how that works, but yeah. A little bit of static electricity. But yeah, she's awesome, and I'm slowly rereading through the entire series, because I do that every time a new volume comes out. It's just, now there's nine of those, and I have less free time there's than ten. I ever did There's before. ten. Oh yeah, now the tenth one's out, so <laughs> yeah, the, like it it went on a hiatus for years so now i especially feel the need to read through it all again so please for the love of god no saga spoilers in the comments for anything after the hiatus i need to start that series yes you do <laughs> i know M- mickey made me buy that first volume the first time i went into alter ego and yeah. i i because buying books and reading books are two different things mm-hmm. i have yet to actually read it <laughs> it's been years for shame kyle i know But anything else before we sign off here? I don't think so. All right. Well, thank you again, Kyle, for taking the time to come on the show. And uh, I'm looking forward to having you back on in the future to probably talk about Dreamer or whatever other big two characters that you helped me stay in the loop on. I'll try to help. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for having me again. It was really fun. My pleasure. If the listeners at home have requests or recommendations for comics or creators you'd like us to cover in the future, you can send them our way on social media. You can find us on the Transcending Comics Instagram and Facebook page, on Twitter as at Transcend Comics, or email us at transcendingcomics at gmail.com. We'd like to thank you for giving our podcast a chance, and give a special shout-out to Ray Day Parade for designing our logo. Our music this week is by April Lee. Our opening song was Proton M, and our outro is Strange Lights in the Trees. You can check out more of her music on SoundCloud, links in the description. Join us again next week as we continue transcending boundaries and exploring the colorful world of trans, non-binary, and genderqueer representation in comic books of all kinds. As the curtains fall on this episode of Transcending Comics, remember that comics have the power to inspire change in countless worlds, including our own. Keep reading, keep writing, and keep transcending.
Let's find.